Well, that was, uh, that was spectacular. Um, it's like a, even a little emotional to see our kids up here singing about um, the incarnation, that we need to go tell the story of Emmanuel, uh, that God is with us. And I hope that you are encouraged by that as well. Um, obviously, second week of Advent, we've talked about hope. We're talking about peace a little bit today. And uh, so tonight, once again, just one more plug to come out at 6.30 to support our children as they do their presentation tonight. I hope that it would be a joy for your heart to come and be a part of something so amazing that we can sing about. Um, today, we're in the Gospel of Mark yet again. And uh, so you can go ahead and turn into Mark chapter 1, and we'll read the passage here in a little bit. But before we get to into the passage, I need to share something with you all that maybe should have gotten brought up when I was candidating, but somehow it must have just slipped under the radar. And I'm not sure if anyone knew this about me here, and maybe if they did, I wouldn't be here today. And you see, I used to be a man who was identified by public officials as someone who had a tendency to commit crime, all right? So I need to tell you a story about me. It's one of those back-in-my-day stories. I'm starting to have lived long enough that the world has changed a bit and things aren't the way that they used to be done. I'm now at that point in my life where I can vainly brag about how much worse I have it than my kids, all right? Some of you have been there for a while, but back in my day... There were consequences for actions that you had done or failed to do, and it really applied to all aspects of life, even in your interactions with the local library, all right? So, you see, back in my day, the libraries charged fees for overdue books. You could rack up quite a debt if you didn't turn your book in on time, and every time you walked into a local library with a fine on your account, you felt as if all eyes were on you as you crossed over that threshold. You know, it's different now. The whole culture has gotten soft. But back in my day, it was different, right? In my day, there are consequences for overdue books, all right? You see, I had borrowed a book, and my automatic renewals had run out, and I started to accumulate a debt. And I was notified via email that there was an issue with my account and that I had to go in person to the local library to make the necessary correction. And so I logged onto my online account with the library and I clicked on the little warning triangle that I saw that indicated to me in black and white just what I had become in the local librarian's eyes. Right next to my status, it said one word, delinquent. <laughs> nothing more, nothing less. If the library could only use one word to describe me and my status, they would choose, and they did choose, the word delinquent. And so I'm not that smart of a guy, so I got on Google and I typed in definition delinquent. I probably spelled it wrong even as I was typing it, but Google knew what I was talking about. And this is what it said. It said a delinquent was somebody that, that, that was this. I had become somebody who was characterized by a tendency to commit crime crime. The library said, I'm a criminal. I'm a criminal. I was like, well, that seems a little strong, right? Maybe a little bit of an overreach, but it's true. I was guilty. I had done something that I shouldn't have done, and I was guilty. And not only that, my actions had changed my identity. From that time forth, I was to be known as a delinquent. Delinquency had become my identity, my criminal action of keeping a book past its due date demonstrated the fact that I was a person who had a tendency to commit crime, right? 
I was a social pariah. I was a drain on society. I was guilty and I was shamed, right? I felt it was a little strong and I didn't know if I could bear the weight of that status within the community. So I had done the crime, so I'd have to do the time, so to speak. And so I went into the library with my overdue book and I paid my debt to society with a very small amount of money, by the way. And all of a sudden, my status changed back to active, just like that. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, as the kids say. Do kids say that? I don't know. Back in my day, we didn't, but now they do. So, so how do you feel about hiring a senior pastor with a criminal record? <laughs> right? Yeah. Sometimes I tell people, yeah, I used to be known as a guy that had a tendency to commit crime. Right? It's kind of silly, but it's a true story. Um, but it's over something pretty trivial, And it never really threatened my standing within the community, I don't think. And I didn't really have sleepless nights over this. And I did not experience a great amount of unrest or a lack of peace. But that's not the case for the man that we meet in our passage today. He had no peace. We're talking about peace today in Advent. This guy had no peace. He was in constant inner and outer turmoil. He would wince often just when he thought about his core identity He was shamed. And his status within the community was unclean. That's how he was known. That's what he was known for. And that uncleanness resulted in a life of misery and isolation and agitation and frustration. He had no peace. None. This man was a social outcast. He was a disease to the community. He was unwanted, unaccepted, unworthy of attention. He was a vagabond, a down and out, destitute derelict was this man, truly a delinquent. No one wanted him around. He had to stay outside the city walls. It was like the way the narrator described the Grinch's interactions with the Who's down in Whoville, like no one should touch that guy with a 39 and a half foot pole. Just, you stay way over there. Living life in this way was for him, and it can be for us, excruciating. And this is what we see in our passage today. So over the last couple weeks, we've seen Jesus blow people's collective minds in a public way in the Sabbath in the synagogue or on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And last week we saw Jesus enter into a private home at the request of his friends. They wanted him to do something about somebody else. But in our text today, Jesus doesn't minister to the masses. He doesn't just care for somebody else that we care about. In our passage today, Jesus personally interacts with one utterly desperate man. And this is an incredibly personal account So thinking about us today here as individuals, each of us exist as individuals here today. We are all in the crosshairs. All of us individually are going to have a very personal encounter with God today. We all come here with guilt. We all come here with some core identity issues involving shame. All of us here have dirt on us, and we can't just brush it off. But all of us can come here to Jesus for his cleansing blood. The hymn writers say, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? 
There is a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood can do what? Lose all their guilty and shame-ridden shame, right? And stains, they're gone. That can happen. And we need to have a personal encounter with Jesus today because that's what we see in our text. Look in Mark chapter one. Verse 40, this is what it says. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing the, what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Lord, we ask that you would add a blessing to us who read and hear and want to seek to understand this word and have it applied to our lives. God, we're going to see amazing things here, incredibly personal things in the text and then very personal things in our lives as well as we deal with our core identities and as we deal with the guilt of what we have done, all of it can be cleansed. And so, God, I pray that we would have a personal encounter with you here today and that as a result, we would experience your peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's look at this passage. There's so much in this passage we will not get to. We're, just, we're, gonna, we're gonna fly over it and we won't get to everything, but what we wanna get to are probably the key points, most important things. Look at what it says in 140. And a leper came to him. Here we have someone identified as a leper. That's what he was known for. He was a leper. Existing as a leper was an excruciating experience. The physical ravages were unrelenting. Moment by moment, those with leprosy were reminded that things were not the way that they should be in their body and in their society. They were in constant anguish. No rest for the weary. They were physically, socially, emotionally, religiously cut off from the community. Leviticus 13 and 14 gives meticulous instructions about those struggling with those various skin diseases. These laws were given to protect the greater community from catastrophic infections, but they also drew a sharp line of distinction between that which was clean and unclean. So for instance, we read in Leviticus 13, 45 this. Listen to this. This is, the rea- this is how the society functioned. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean. Crying out, unclean, me. That's who I am. They weren't allowed to enter the temple. 
They weren't even allowed to live in with Jerusalem proper or any other walled city in antiquity. They had to establish their residence in desolate places. Put a pin in that. That's where they did their life, in desolate places, in the wilderness. They might be able to enter into a city to attend a religious gathering in a local synagogue from time to time, but they had to be isolated and put behind a screen when they came. Such was the life of the man we read about in this passage. And yet we see that in desperation, this leper breaks all the cultural taboos and he comes to Jesus. Look, it says, and a leper came to him. Somehow this leper had come to the end of himself and when no one else seemed to be able or even willing to help, he pushes all of his physical, social, religious, and emotional chips into the center and he goes all in on this Jesus fellow. He comes to Jesus. In the previous section we looked at last week, Jesus came to Simon's mother-in-law's house, but here we see a leper coming to Jesus. This man comes to Jesus in his unclean state. We so often try to hide our faults. We hide them from other people and we hide them from Jesus himself. We try to keep others and Jesus at arm's length, hoping that the distance that we've created will not allow them to see our dirtiness. But this man came to Jesus with his dirtiness. This man no doubt was weak and heavy laden, longing for rest and peace. And so he comes to Jesus and then he says this, and the leper came to him imploring him. And kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. He implored him. He knelt before him. He spoke to him and he demonstrated faith in who Jesus was. This is amazing. He implored him. Important. This is a compound word, two words squished together. First word meaning to come alongside. Second word means to call. He was calling Jesus to come to his side. He says, look, I need you. I can't keep existing like this. I've come to an end. Left to myself, I am utterly hopeless. I need you to come alongside me in my dirtiness. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend like my uncleanness isn't a part of me. It is, but I want you to come alongside me and see for yourself just how dirty I am. And so he doesn't keep a safe, prescribed distance like the culture would say. He comes right up to Jesus and says, come alongside me. And then he kneels before him. He assumes a humble posture of dependence and reverence. By bending his knee to the ground, this leper is submitting himself to the one who was his superior. And then he opens up his mouth. He's going to talk to his superior and say to him something that is a profound phrase filled with faith. This is what he says. If you will, you can make me clean. This is amazing. 
What we need to understand about what we're saying is this. He's asking for something that's not humanly possible. He's asking for a miracle to change everything about who he is. He's demonstrating great faith in Jesus' capability when everyone else, including himself, was incapable. He's asking for a healing that would not just restore him physically, but also socially, psychologically, religiously, and emotionally. He's not just asking to be declared clean like the Old Testament priests had the position and the power to do upon the inspection after Leviticus 13 and 14 procedures took place. He's not asking to be declared clean. He's asking for the cleansing itself. This is something that only God could do. There's only one who can change leper spots and melt hearts of stone. And this leper says his name is Jesus. He says, look, I know you're capable of this. Come alongside me, look at my dirtiness. You, you alone, are capable of this. You can do it. And I'm humbly asking you on bended knee to do for me that which I can't do for myself. Only you, no priest, no rabbi, no anybody else could make me clean. And upon seeing this man on bended knee, expressing faith in him, Jesus has a gut-wrenching reaction that compels him to action. Look at what it says. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left and he was made clean. Have you ever seen someone experience an injury and then you can imagine the pain yourself? The other day I, I, I was interacting with somebody who had dropped a piece of wood on their toe and it looked really painful and immediately, you know what my stomach did? Ugh, it just kind of turned over. I'm like, oh, that looks, I could, I could almost, it's like phantom pain. Like someone shows you a cut or a bruise or a broken arm and your stomach turns a little bit. You can begin to imagine that person and their, their pain in some sort of phantom way. This is what happens to Jesus. He sees this man and something inside of him happens. It something that happens inside of him causes his hand to rise up and reach out and do that which was prohibited by religious and ceremonial law. He touches the man. He's moved to do this. He touched him. He didn't even need to say, I will be clean, because his actions did the talking. Here we see the unnecessary tenderness and compassion of Jesus. He could have just said, I will be clean. But he doesn't say the words to the man. He touches the man who probably hadn't experienced the warmth of human touch for years. Some of you know what that's like. Where there's a coldness or a deadness in your relationships, maybe with your spouse just existing 
But Jesus doesn't just say the words to the man. He touches the man who probably hadn't experienced the warmth of human touch for years. So here's the thing. God incarnate touched a diseased, ridden, social outcast that no one else would even come near. That's who our God is. Now, we all know that bonding takes place between appropriate physical touch. There can be so much nurture and care that can be communicated through touch. That's been extensively researched and well-documented, especially with children. Appropriate touch can impact on, have an impact on everything from brain development to short-term behavior to long-term mental and emotional development. Research has been studying this. It's fascinating. Our skin is the largest organ in our bodies, and it sends sensations to our brains. When we engage in pleasant touch like a hug, our brains release hormones that make us feel good or safe or secure or accepted. Handshakes, hugs, high fives confirm up emotional and social bonds and lower anxieties and fears of being an outsider and unaccepted. These are tangible gestures that connect people to people and they give us a real sense of belonging. Greeting one another, we'll talk about it someday, is all throughout the New Testament. There were many things that were debilitating and dehumanizing during all the COVID stuff, but maybe the most detrimental and devastating was the lack of physical contact. Exchanging hugs and full body suits is not the same as skin to skin, chest to chest contact with arms fully enveloping one another, that type of exchange just can't be authentically replicated. And so in, it's interesting because the society at large, they've developed strategies and exercises that have been put in place by therapists to help people care for one another that live in a touch-deprived culture. So the strategies range from prescribing therapeutic massages to weighted blankets to therapy animals that you can pet. But guess what? Nothing beats what Jesus offers this man. Jesus, if you read the text, read it. He stretches out his hand. And he touches him. He doesn't stretch out his hand as far as he can in order to stay as far away as possible. Jesus stretches out his hand much like an Olympic athlete thrusts himself toward the finish line in order to get there as fast as possible. He's moved. He's like, got to do something. Jesus stretches out his hand and he physically touches this untouchable one. He breaks every cultural and religious norm. He can't wait to touch him. He can't help but touch him. He had already left heaven and come this far, so why stop now? He came to the earth as God in the flesh that he could touch people like this man in Mark 1 who is emblematic of all of us. Every single one of us has gone astray. We're all guilty. We're all dirty. Every single one of us have accumulated a massive amount of shame as well. We've done shameful things. We have had shame dumped on us as we have been sinned against. Our uncleanness, get this, is not just a condition. It has become our identity. This guy 
according to Levitical law, had to walk around and announce to everyone that he was unclean. I was laughing about this. It's like sinning in a small town. Everybody knows. Or everybody knows how you used to be. Everyone knows. But can you imagine living like this? Every time you said that word out loud in public at the top of your lungs, it would be like driving another proverbial nail in your own coffin. But the nail wouldn't be hit by a hammer. It would be struck with a judge's gavel delivering a death sentence. Unclean, I'm unclean, I don't belong here. Can you imagine that existence? And we might be tempted to say, no, I I can't. That sounds horrible. But let's press into that for a moment. Because the reason we can't imagine living like that is because we're actually living like that. The reason we can't imagine a scenario like that is because we're constantly actually living like that. We might not be walking around shouting these things out, for, out loud for all to hear, but the voices in your head are very loud and they're very clear. The message of your uncleanness, your guilt, and your shame isn't ringing in everyone else's ears, but it's resounding between yours. The voices in our heads so often remind us that we don't measure up, that we don't belong, that we're in danger of being found out. The voices in our head can swing a judge's gavel that determines and firms up our perceived identity. Every time it comes down, sometimes it sounds different. I'm unclean, I'm dirty, I'm dried up. My shame is visible. I'm a menace to this society. I'm different in a bad way from everyone else. I'm uncomfortable in my skin. I deserve this, I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. Show me the door and I'll just leave. I'm unclean. I'm dirty, I'm dried up. Keep a safe distance from me. Don't get too close, I'm unclean, I'm dirty. I'm unworthy of being here. I don't deserve a second or third or 100th chance, just throw me away. Some of you are your own worst critic. And you loathe and you despise yourself for what you have done or for who you have become. And as you conduct your life in the downward depressive cycle of the echo chamber of your mind, you desperately need someone to walk up to you that's clean and associate you with you by touching you. Well, let me introduce you to a man who can silence those voices in your head. The man I want to tell you about can use his once perfect but now nailed scarred hands to touch you. The man I want to tell you about can open up his mouth to answer your question for a cleansing with the words, I will be clean. His name is Jesus. 
He reached out and he touched this man and he spoke words of cleansing over the man. And then Mark tells us in verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Like I said, there's so much more to explore in this passage, but we're going to stop here with the once unclean, outcast man cleansed. Physical, emotional, psychological, social, religious healing occurred in this man's life when he came to Jesus. Remember, he came imploring Jesus. That means to come alongside him. But Jesus goes one step further and he actually touches this man. Not just, I'm just, uh, I'm not just gonna be beside you, I'm gonna touch you. He doesn't just come alongside him, but Jesus goes one step further. Jesus touches this man, forever proving that God can indeed do far more abundantly than we can ask or even imagine according to this power at work within us. When this man was healed from his infirmities, he went out energetically engaging with everyone. <laughs> he couldn't, it was like almost impossible for him to obey, and there's so many things that we could explore with that. But look at verse 45. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and the people were coming to him from every corner. Desolate places. That's where the unclean man was. Now who's in desolate places? Jesus. Instead of running around yelling out to everyone within earshot, unclean, unclean. This man is now running around saying to everyone with ears to hear, I'm clean. I'm clean. He couldn't help but tell. He couldn't help but spreading the news. He started spreading the news. And that news began to have a domino effect on the society that he was a part of as people from every quarter, right, started seeking out a similar experience with Jesus because really every single one of them and us needs a cleansing. And think about this. It started with Jesus being accessible and a man desperately needing what only Jesus could and would give, a touch that would result in a cleansing. And upon the touch of Jesus, this man was purified and Jesus' purity remained intact. It's amazing. Jesus didn't become unclean. Jesus' cleanliness passed itself on to this unclean man while Jesus' purity remains intact. It was a one-way transaction that resulted in peace, a restoration to the way things should be with God and man communing together. And that's what this Christmas season is all about. God with man now residing is what the, scripture, or what the hymn says. So I want to close the message a little bit different than normal. And one of my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy by the name of Andrew Peterson. I remember going to a concert of his many years ago and just being impacted by this powerful testimony of what God's word says to us. Andrew writes this time at a time when he had no peace and he was dealing with darkness and sadness and depression in his life. The voices in his head were louder than the voice of his Savior. 
The inner critic and the shame messages were all that he could hear as he was on tour and he was cowering in fear in a church closet right before he was to go on stage and perform for an audience of onlookers. And he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He just trapped himself in the closet weeping. But as they say in the business, the show must what? Must, must go on. And so in the darkness of that closet, he sensed within his soul the very voice of God saying, peace, be still. And later on, as he was thinking about that, he wrote a song as he reflected on that experience. And the song is going to sound like this, but you have to help out as well in this song. It's very simple. You're going to represent the voice of the Holy Spirit in this song, so no pressure, all right? Don't mess it up. (laughs) But it's really simple. You're just going to say, peace, be still. And I'll cue you as to what that's going to sound like throughout the song. And you're going to continue to sing it over and over again as I cue you. But your part will sound like this. You'll say, peace, be still. Try that with me. Peace, be still. Very good. And you're just going to say that over and over when I, when I cue you. Some of you have an inner critic that needs to be silenced today. All of us are dealing with guilt. All of us have core identity issues with shame. And the voice of God comes to us and says to us, peace be still. Well, I tried to be brave, but I hid in the dark. I sat in that cave and I prayed for a spark to light up all the pain that remained in my heart and the rain kept falling down on the roof of the church where I cried I could hear all the laughter and love and I tried to get up and get out but a part of me died and the rain kept falling Well, I'm scared if I open myself to be known I'll be seen and despised and be left all alone So I'm stuck in this tomb and you won't move the stone And the rain keeps falling Somewhere the sun is a light in the sky But I'm dying in North Carolina And I can't believe there's an end to this season of night And the rain keeps falling down Falling down Falling down There's a woman at home and she's praying for light. My children are there and they love me in spite of the shadows I know that they see in my eyes and the rain keeps falling. I'm so tired of this game of these songs of the road. I'm already ashamed of the line I just wrote. But it's true that it feels like I can't sing a note And the rain keeps 
falling down, falling down, falling down. Sing together, peace be still. Peace be My daughter and I put the seeds in the dirt And every day now we've been watching the earth For a sign that this death would give way to a birth And the rain keeps falling Down on the soil where the sorrow is laid And the secret of life is igniting the grave And I'm dying to live but I'm learning to wait And the rain keeps falling down Falling down Falling down Sing peace be still be new again peace I just want to be closer to you again peace Lord I can't find the song Lord I'm tired and I'm always so wrong peace help me be brave tonight peace Jesus please help me out of this cave tonight peace I've been calling and calling just keeps falling peace I've been calling and calling but this rain just keeps falling peace is it you beast is it you peace is it true beast is it you Born in us today, we hear. 
passage that we looked at today shows us Jesus' tenderness and his compassion. We kind of see the multidimensional nature of the ministry of Jesus. He doesn't just heal him physically, but it had a domino effect on the whole output and outcome of this man's life. He offered human contact where there had been none. And the man's sense of self-worth was restored and fortified. There was a physical and a psychological healing. The man was also restored to the community. He was cleansed. And there's no need to hide. His biggest hindrance to fellowship with others was eradicated and erased. Social healing and restoration allowed him to engage fully with the rest of his religious community. This man... And his faith was rewarded. Jesus might amaze the masses. He might care for the crowds. But you're in the dead center of his directed gaze today. He sees you in your leprous state. And he wants to come and have a personal encounter with you. And you with him. But you have to come. You are unclean. But you can come to him for a cleansing You are impure, but you can approach him, and his purity will rub off on you. And you might be rightfully rejected and cast aside by others because of your sins against them. But if you come to Jesus with your sins in your hand, this is what he says to you. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So come. Come to him. He's offering you peace where there has been none. And you might implore him to come alongside you, but he wants to one-up that. He wants to come and touch you. But you must come and you must kneel and you must speak to him and demonstrate faith in his capabilities So let's do that now. God, we close our time here wondering because of the voices in our head whether or not all this stuff is true, if this could really happen. Is this just something that Mark made up many years ago for our encouragement, for us to embrace kind of sentimentalities and things like that? No, God, this is true. It's written in a way to demonstrate that it's true where it wasn't just this man who was impacted, but the whole society as people from every quarter were coming to you. It testifies to its truthfulness that that happened. If he really wasn't cleansed, then why would anybody come? No one would believe his story. But his story is true, and it's just as true as it was 2,000 years ago as it is today for us as we come to you desperately needing to be cleansed, desperately needing to have our guilt taken care of and our core identity of being shamed and shameful to being healed and restored. God, this man was restored to the community. He was cleansed with no need to hide anymore. His biggest problem was taken care of. His hindrance to the fellowship with other people was eradicated and erased. He didn't need to hide And social healing and restoration allowed him to fully engage with the rest of his religious community. That's what we need here. 
And that's what you're very capable of doing. And that's what you're offering to us as we are in the crosshairs today as individuals. God, help us to be brave today. Help us to come to you. God, we might need assistance in coming. There might be a lot of things to unpack about our dirtiness and our uncleanness. But we want to have this be a place where we can find that the tangible touch of Jesus within the context of this community is available for anyone here or anyone listening online. I pray that they would come. God, I pray that they would come to you and interact with this body of Christ here to find a cleansing that they desperately need. Give them bravery tonight or today and tonight and throughout this week. And I pray for your peace to surpass our understanding. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.